Good morning, Church 214. Uh, I, don't, I don't even feel like I need to preach right now. I feel like we could probably just go home after that worship. Give it up for the band. Yeah. So uh, like uh, Chris said, my name is Isaac Schaefer. Um, I'm married to uh, Holly down here in the second row. And we actually uh, got married uh, nine days from now, a year ago, on this stage. So it's, it's actually kind of cool to be up here preaching, so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, <coughs> but we're, we're in the series Silence, and uh, I have a, a lot to get through, and not a whole lot of time to get through it in, so we're just going to dive right in. So let's go ahead and pray. <coughs> Father, we just thank you that we could just come here and worship you together to come into your presence. God, thank you for a country that allows us to worship freely without fear of persecution. Thank you for this building that that we've been blessed with. God, I pray now that you would just fall on this place. God, that you would circumcise our hearts, that you would open us up to your word. I pray that you would take this broken man, take my broken words, and I ask that you would fill them. God, I pray that you would speak specifically into each person's heart through your spirit. God, I ask that these words would fall in fertile soil and that you would bear fruit. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're in uh, this series, Silence. Chris preached an amazing message last week. If you weren't here, uh, I would encourage you to uh, go to the podcast and listen to it. It was absolutely awesome. So the, the Webster's defini- Dictionary definition of silence uh, it, it, there's a number of definitions. You could say it's the absence of sound, uh, or, or there's another definition that says no utterance of words. And those are great definitions, but uh, I feel like the beginning of creation actually has uh, a lot to say about silence. I believe God has something to say uh, about silence in the beginning of, cre- of uh, creation. So turn with me to Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-2 says this, and the earth was out form, was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. I'm going to stop there for a second. If there was ever a time in the history of the universe where there was silence, it was right now. It says that the earth was void. There was nothing in it, nothing living, nothing of use. And it says that darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness is the absence of light. Even something as simple as light can bring life, warmth, and energy. But in the beginning, there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like God was silent, where there was nothing, where it was dark, and void, no semblance of anything living, no semblance of anything going on. Dead. Silent. Let's read the end of verse 2. And the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. He was there. He was present and he was moving. He was working in the silence. And then verse 3, and then God said, let there be light. And everything changed. I'm putting all my chips on the table at the very beginning. If there's one thing that I want you to remember from today, it's this. 
God is present in the silence. God is working in the silence. And when God speaks into the silence, everything changes. When God speaks into the silence, everything changes. So I have a question for you, and while I encourage our participation over the next 40 minutes or so, this one's a little bit more rhetorical, so don't feel a need to participate. What kinds of feelings are conjured up when I say silence? What's your gut reaction when I say silence? For some of you, uh, maybe new parents, Ryan and Lauren, how's it going? <laughs> Good? Awesome. So for, for, for some of you, silence might be kind of a love-hate relationship right now. Uh, so when the house is calm and quiet, you can't imagine loving anything or anyone more than that silence. And then about 10 seconds after you set your child down to go to sleep, it starts crying for about the 100th time in the last 10 minutes. Or uh, maybe uh, you have a toddler, and uh, uh, you're just putting your toddler in their high chair in the kitchen and, and set lunch out for them. By the way, high chairs are, are wonderfully disguised prisons. They have a nice seatbelt on them. There's food in front to entertain the child. So, so you set your child uh, in their high chair for lunch, and you, you try and retreat to the couch for just a couple moments of blissful calm. And about 30 seconds after your butt hits the cushions, you hear a, a crash in the kitchen, and you run in to see what's going on. And, and somehow your child has broken all of the laws of physics, escaped their prison, and gotten into every single cupboard, shelf, drawer, and pulled everything out and just threw it all over the floor. He even got to the shelves that you can't reach. And in that moment, you hate silence because just maybe if silence didn't even exist, if it wasn't even an option, the complete lack of it in your life might, seem, might make the chaos seem a little bit more tolerable. It's okay, I was done with that page anyway. <laughs> Actually, no, I wasn't. I lied. Maybe you're someone who actually loves silence. Maybe you're a little bit more of an introvert and time away in the silence uh, just alone with God, alone with your thoughts, away from people, Kip. <laughs> it, it, it is just, it's just nothing but a breath of fresh air to you, and, and nothing energizes you more. Maybe you don't really like silence. You're not a fan of it. You always have to be entertained, always have to be busy, always have to be doing something, and you actually avoid the silence. And I'll propose to you this morning that that everyone at some point and at some time avoids the silence. I believe that for one of two reasons. We'll get to those in a second. Has, it, has anybody heard of sensory deprivation tanks? This is where I want participation. Hands. The participant don't want his hands. Oh, wow. I was not expecting that. So, so for those of you that don't know, you're going to learn something here. So uh, basically the sensory deprivation tanks are, are kind of this new craze in hipster, neo-spiritualism, homeopathic health world, okay? Uh, the, the basic concept is to completely eliminate all external stimuli from the body. There's a, a picture of one up there. So they, they were actually developed back in the 1950s by a psychologist and a psychoanalyst who was studying sensory deprivation as a means for both diagnosing and treating certain psychological issues. And that, that's about as rational as that story gets. Um, and, and for reasons that I'm not really going to get into right now because I don't have time, his work didn't really go mainstream. 
But about over the last decade and a half, there's actually been a lot of businesses popping up, mostly on the West Coast, uh, which I'm sure might not come as a shock to you, uh, that, that are basically marketing sensory deprivation tanks, or what they call float tanks, uh, as a means for, for relaxation. It's kind of like a, a white-collar meditation, almost, uh, or, or just to enhance creative thinking. So like I said, there's a picture of one. You can go ahead and put the picture back up. So uh, basically, uh, it's a large pod or, or a, a coffin. Uh, and uh, basically, it's filled with about 10 or 12 inches of water. And that water is filled with thousands of pounds of Epsom salt, basically like the Dead Sea that you can, so you can just float effortlessly. The water is heated to about 98.6 degrees, the exact temperature of your body. The air is humidified to match the humidity of the air in your lungs and your nasal passages, and it's also heated to about body temperature. And then every claustrophobic nightmare, you're closed inside. So don't worry. Uh, don't have an anxiety attack right now for you claustrophobics out there. There is an emergency escape button on the inside, so it's okay. But anyway, so, so w when the tank closes, it completely eliminates all sound and all light and it's normally in a room that's completely light-proof and completely soundproof. And then you lay back and you float. And because the water is the exact temperature of your skin and the air is the exact temperature as your internal temperature and there's no light and there's no sound, you basically feel like you're floating in an endless black space. So uh, for those of you that don't really know me, just as a quick aside here, um, if you don't know me or if you haven't figured it out already, I'm, I'm a complete and total nerd. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in biology, a master's degree in health science and medicine, and so especially when it comes to, to things of, of the body, I, I can't really contain my inner nerd and I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, so with that warning, here comes the nerd. So uh, the human brain is basically a congealed, a congealed mass of cells that weighs about three pounds. And in the brain, there are millions and millions of cells that basically talk to each other through electrical signals. And it's through these electrical, electrical signals and this communication uh, that our brain processes our external stimuli, our reality from our senses, taste, touch, smell, sight. It processes all those electrical signals to form the reality that we know. And so 24-7, 365 days a year, your brain is receiving the sensory stimuli. So needless to say, it's pretty used to being overloaded with all of the sensory stimuli, especially in this day and age. And then you take that brain and plop that brain into a basically sensory-free environment, and your brain freaks the heck out. It goes nuts. So you can either take my word for it, uh, or you can, you can research it yourself. But basically, after about 15 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes in the sensory dep deprivation tank, many people actually start hallucinating. So most of them are very benign. Uh, it's the, you know, people describe things like you know, wispy lights, kind of like the northern lights, or some weird like flashing geometric shapes that kind of morph into other geometric shapes. Other people hear uh, songs or music, and it's not like the song that's stuck in your head, you know, like, this is the song that never ends. Yeah. By the way, you're welcome. Have fun with that for the next week. Um, <laughs> So it's not like that. Your brain's actually convinced that it's hearing the song through your ears. It's really weird. There's also a, a smaller subset of people uh, that uh, on no kind of psychoactive substances or anything like that that have full-blown Krazar hallucinations. I mean, we're talking about you're flying through space at light speed, passing planets and your second grade teacher on the way. 
In the meantime, you're, you're riding a T-Rex and eating a pizza. Like, crazy stuff. I mean, you can Google that and read some reviews of, of people that have done this. It's nuts. Anyway, so the basic theory of why that happens is your brain is so used to receiving all of this external stimuli that when it's gone and when it's silent, your brain freaks out and it tries to fill that silence. It tries to avoid being in that silence. Our fallen brains literally can't tolerate the silence. In the same way, I believe our fallen souls can't tolerate the silence. But why is that? Why can't we tolerate the silence? I believe it's for one of two reasons. We avoid silence either because it discourages us or because we're afraid of the silence, because we're afraid of what it will reveal in us. So we're going to drill down on those two. First, we avoid the silence because it discourages us. Now, I'm going to be talking a lot about David in this message. Uh, David was known as a man after God's own heart. We see the retelling of David's life in, in multiple books of the Bible. And we see how intimate David's relationship was with God in the Psalms. And David had some amazing days. And David had some very dark days. Days where he slept in a cave. Not knowing if he would wake up to a spear being thrust into his chest. I can't say I've had a dark day like that. And even in those dark days, David was still able to write things down like, I am confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And David did. David became king. David was a master warrior and strategist. He led multiple military campaigns that not only stabilized the borders of Israel, but expanded them. The surrounding kings and nations feared and respected him. He led his people in fervent pursuit of God and in fervent worship of him. And under David, God's people flourished. But David also had dark days. And it was on those dark days when David liked to write down his thoughts and his feelings and what he was thinking about God into a psalm. And one of these psalms is Psalm 28. So if you could turn to Psalm 28 for me. <clears throat> so a little bit of background about Psalm 28. Uh, David wrote this psalm at a time when evil seemed like it was prevailing around him. When the sins of the people around him who were rebelling against God went unchecked and unchallenged. But it seemed like life was going great for them. And meanwhile, David is over here praising God, living his life to please God, and it seems like he is just getting nowhere. It seems like God is silent. And it's in this setting that David writes Psalm 28. So let's start in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. We're going to stop there. Notice what David is saying here. First, he calls God his rock. He understands that God is his foundation, and when all else is crumbling around him, he is calling to his rock. But right now, David's having some doubts. He's saying, God, don't turn a deaf ear to me. Please don't be silent. If you're silent, I might as well die. David sounds desperate, discouraged. He's discouraged in this moment by God's apparent silence. I know for a fact that there are people in this room who 
are either currently going through or have been through a time where they felt like God was silent. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer or a seemingly unanswered prayer. Maybe it's a wayward child or family member and you've been pleading with God for days, weeks, months, years on end. Through tears, pouring your heart out to God. God, would you rescue them? Would you show them the truth? Would you reveal to them the lies that Satan is letting them believe? Would you rescue them? Show them your grace. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe you're in chronic pain and you've been pleading with God, God, just just take this pain from me. I can't take it anymore. The doctors don't know what's going on. We've tried everything. Can't you just take it? God, I want a baby so bad. I want to raise them to love you and to live for you. Don't you want that for me? And God seems silent. But can I encourage you this morning? I don't want to diminish in any way the pain or the confusion that you're going through. I don't want to diminish that at all, so please please hear my tenderness in saying this. Our God is not silent. Your life may feel dark and void, but he is moving over the face of the deep. He is moving in the background of your life. You may not sense it, but he is there. And when God speaks out of the silence, everything changes. When God speaks out of the silence, everything changes. Again, please hear my tenderness in in, in what I'm about to say. God's answer may not be what you want it to be. You may not get your yes from God. Yes, all of God's promises are yes and amen. There is no promise that God has never fulfilled to his people. He is faithful. And God's promise to you is this. He does all things for his glory and for your good. God does all things, everything, for his glory and for your good. You may not get your yes, but God is working for your good. His ways are higher than our ways. He is working for your good. God's goodness in your life is far better than your view of perfection. Let me say that again. God is working for your good and his goodness in your life is far better than your view of perfection. He is working. He will speak into the silence. And when he speaks, everything changes. You're going to have days in your life where you feel like God is silent, maybe even years, decades. But he is working. His spirit is moving over the face of the deep in your life. He is with you and he is working. I I love this verse. It's Hosea 6.3. 
So if you want to turn to Hosea 6.3, please do. If you ever feel discouraged, if you ever feel like God is silent or that he is not working, memorize Hosea 6.3, go to Hosea 6.3. It says this, let us know. There is no doubt in knowing. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. His going forth is as sure as the dawn. He is working for the good in your life. And even on days when you don't sense it, you can know that he is working. I didn't doubt that the sun was going to rise this morning. We don't need to doubt that God is going forth, that he is working for your good. So press into him. Spend time alone in the silence with him and hear his voice. The spring rains will come. And his goodness will bear fruit in your life. As a deer hunter, I'm not a huge fan of silence. When the woods are, are still in silent, there's basically nothing that you can do to avoid detection. The, the deer hate it too. Uh, when it's silent, the deer just want to bed down and they just want to stay there. They don't get up and move because they know that with every step they take, they're broadcasting their position to any potential predators around them. And, and as a hunter, I hate the silence because there's no ambient noise to hide the rustling of my clothes. There's no soft breeze moving through the trees that, that rustle the leaves and, and that camouflage my movement as I grab for my bow. See, as a hunter, I hate the silence because when the woods are silent and still, there is nothing that you can do to hide what you really are. Which leads us to the second reason why we, why we avoid silence. It's because the silence shows us who we really are. So what does the Bible say about who we are apart from Jesus? What does the Bible have to say about who we are? So I'm going to go through a lot of verses here. Don't bother following along. Just write the, the references down in your notes and come back to them later. <clears throat> First one is Isaiah 64, 6. We all have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, uh, this is translated as polluted garment, but the actual connotation in Hebrew is a dirty tampon. I know it's nasty. But take all of your good deeds every time you walk the old lady across the street, every time you picked up your room without your mom telling you to. Take every righteous deed you've ever done, put it in a nice little neat pile, set it at the feet of the king of the universe. And apart from Jesus, all of those good deeds are as if you set a dirty tampon at his feet. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
our very nature is one that is deserving of God's wrath. And before you think that you made it out of that club, by, by going to church every week, maybe even two or three times a week, by going by the mantra, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do, read the end of the verse. You are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We are no better than the bum on the street. You have no more righteousness in yourself than the prostitute on the corner. You are as guilty as the murderer on death row. We are by nature children of wrath. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little small right now. That's good. Psalm 51.5, let's do a few more. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Notice that this doesn't say that you were born good and that you made a mess of your life later or, as the world wants you to believe, you were born good and you're still good now. From the very moment of our conception, from the very moment that you started your existence, your end was destruction. You were conceived in sin, the object of the wrath of a holy God. One more. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Above all things, your heart is not loving, it is not caring, it is not considerate, it is deceitful and desperately sick. Above all things, your heart is not good like the world wants you to believe. And your heart isn't sick, it doesn't have the case of the sniffles, it doesn't have the flu. Your heart's in the ICU. You are hanging by a thread. And most days we don't even realize it. Notice what the verse says, that the heart is deceitful above all things. And the person that we lie to most is ourselves. We lie to ourselves every day about the condition of our hearts. Oftentimes our lives are too loud and too busy to allow God to show us who we really are. You can drown out the silence with all the noise and all the chaos with you want, but the only person you're fooling is yourself. Newsflash, God is not fooled by the chaos or the noise in your life. He is very aware of the condition of your heart. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why he did something about it. Chris preached last week about how, how we take silence and the importance of taking silence. What if we actually did it? What if we actually took time to be silent with God? What would happen? Again, David's psalms are so illuminating here. Turn to Psalm 32, 1 through 5. I'm going to kind of take this piece by piece, so just follow along with me. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We're going to stop there. So in verse 1 and verse 2, 
David is giving us an exhortation about what happened to him after an encounter with God. After an encounter with God, David said, my sins are forgiven. My transgressions are no longer counted against me. My iniquity is covered. Notice what he also says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the, de- that's the deceit that we talked about in Jeremiah 17. So there's something about the silence, something about David's encounter with God that exposed that deceit to David's eyes and eliminated it. And the rest of the passage answers that. But first, all in favor of being the person in verse 1 and 2. All in favor of being the one who can say, my sins are covered. There is no transgression in my life. My heart is free of deceit. Verse 3 and 4 show us how we get there. So verse 3. For when I kept silent. Boom. There was something about the silence that changed everything for David. Let's keep reading. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. And my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So we see in verse 14 that when David kept silent, he felt the weight of who God was. He felt the weight of a holy God. Notice that he says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and it dried up my strength. I had nothing left. Notice David's response to finally feeling the weight of who God is. Verse 5. David's strength was dried up and he said this, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And he forgave the iniquity of my sin. So when David spent time in silence, the first thing that he felt was the weight of who God was, the weight of a holy God. Every person in the Bible that has an encounter with a holy God has the exact same response. They immediately fall on their face in fear and in reverence because when they see God for who he is, they immediately realize who they are without him. We see that happening in David's heart. We see it happening. He says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up. See, in the silence, there are no more excuses. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. You're in the presence of a holy God. When you understand the weight of, the, of your sin and selfishness, you understand the weight of the holy God that you have sinned against. And it's this understanding that produced confession and repentance in David. It's this understanding that will produce confession and repentance in us. We see that in verse 5 when he said, I acknowledged my sin to you. David had nowhere else to go. The spotlight of God's holiness was shining directly into the darkness of David's heart. And he had no more excuses. And David finally saw who he was and he confessed his sin to God. And God forgave him. And in that moment, David realized 
that God's purpose in showing him the weight of who he was, God's purpose in showing him his holiness was not to destroy him. God's purpose in drying up his strength was not to condemn him. It was to give him grace. It was to call and beckon David to himself, calling him to the freedom and the joy that is in God, calling him to grace. And that grace and the love that that holy God has extended to you and to David is in his son Jesus. You see, in Jesus, there is no more need to run. There are no more need for excuses. You don't need to hide. You can point to the cross and say, there is my sin. There is the death that I should have died. My price was paid. He bought my pardon. And then you fall on your face, no longer fearful, no longer in shame, and no longer silent, but rejoicing at the grace that the Holy God has extended to you. Rejoicing that God was not silent when it came to the condition of your heart. He sent his son to the cross for you. The cross stands as a symbol for all of eternity. God is not silent. He sent his son to the cross. That is his answer to the silence. When a holy God speaks into your silence, everything changes. Between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years where God was supposedly silent. And if you've been paying attention at all for the last 35 or 40 minutes or so, if you paid attention at all to Chris's message, I've probably said it about 100 times so far, God is not silent. He is always working. Let me finish today by encouraging you with this. God may seem silent, but you are not forgotten. Your life may feel dark and void. Like there is nothing happening, like there is no life in you but his spirit moves over the face of the deep. He is working in your life. He is present. He will speak. And when he speaks, everything changes. In the midst of the silence, you may feel so worthless and exposed, dead in your sin and selfishness. But God is in the business of speaking life out of the silence. And 2,000 years ago, after 400 years of silence, Jesus was born. After 400 years of silence, Jesus was born. It seemed like God was silent for 400 years, but in reality, he was working for the good of all human history. He was preparing the way for his son, Jesus, preparing the way for the Messiah, preparing for the day when the silence would be broken, when the angels would declare, a Savior is born, 
a Savior is born. And on that silent dark night in Bethlehem, Jesus cried into the silence. Jesus cries into the silence of all human history. He cries into the silence of your life right now. And he is beckoning you to himself. He is beckoning you to grace and freedom in him. There is no need to fear the silence because of Jesus. He says, come to me. I'm all that you need. Come to me. I'm everything. Do you hear it? You can't afford to ignore it. Are you silent? Out of the silence, our God speaks, and everything changes. The band is going to keep playing behind me, and I, I just want to take this moment just to give you just to give you a time of silence with you and God. Maybe there are some things you have to deal with, some things you just need to cry out to Him for. If you're discouraged. Go to Hosea 6.3. His going out, his going forth is as sure as the dawn. He is present and working in your life. The spring showers will come. If you're feeling lifeless, if you're feeling exposed, like you're dead in your transgressions, look to the cross. Jesus is calling you to himself. You have no need to fear the silence. His purpose is not to destroy you. His purpose is to beckon you to himself, to freely give you the grace, to freely give you the payment of Jesus' blood on the cross. Out of the silence, God speaks and everything changes. And after that moment of silence, we're going to sing one more song. And, and while I would always encourage you to sing along with the band and worship God, maybe your worship right now needs to be continuing that silence. We're going to sing a song called Come to Me. And I, I just think that it, it fits so perfectly. Listen to the words of this song. Listen in the silence, meditate on them, let them encourage you. Let God speak into your silence and change everything. Take your moment of silence.